We're going to review a few of the things that we had gone over before. Looking at the prophetic words that came out around John's uh, birth, that announced his birth, preparation for him coming. He is called a prophet. We don't see a whole lot of what we think of as a prophet's ministry in the area of prophesying with, with John. But last time we were together, we saw that with his, with his father and with others, we need to be about what God has said for us to do. That as we are about doing what God has told us to do, where God has put us, the place God has put us in, He knows where to find us. And He'll find us right where we're at. As long as we keep staying there. Don't go running, running around doing something different. We said before, it is okay to know to not know how God will do something so that Mary didn't know how he was going to do something but accepted it. Of course, uh, John's father wasn't quite the, that way. He had to not talk for a while. So you may not know how he's going to do something but don't doubt what he says to you. Let's look over verse 13 again in Luke chapter 1. But the angel said to him, this is the prophecy from Gabriel, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn away many of the children, I'm sorry, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a a people prepared for the Lord. So in this prophecy that Gabriel gives, and that's what it is, he's talking about things that are still to come. He says, first off, you will call his name John. Now, not necessarily a prophecy and this is what's going to happen, but he's telling them this is what you will do. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. These are reactions that people will have to this. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So this is the preparation that he would have. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That's not something that occurs in those days. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. This is talking about the ministry that he will have and the things he will do. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is where Elijah is prophesied to, to be part of John's ministry. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that doesn't really, if you, if you just look at the ministry that he's called to, it doesn't sound all that dynamic. It doesn't sound all that flamboyant. Uh, we're not talking about anything great. We're going to turn the hearts of the people to the Lord. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, we're not talking about massive healing ministries. He's not prophesied to have any kind of a healing ministry at all. Or that the deaf ears will be opened or any of those things that Jesus was prophesied about. He's just, uh, you're going to turn their hearts to the Lord. You're going to prepare the way for basically what is called the one. You're going to prepare the way. So your ministry in life is uh, you're going to prepare the way and you're going to turn the hearts of the people. Does that, does that sound exciting? I mean, Elijah, he turned the hearts of the people, but he did it through some very powerful things. That was a lot more exciting. 
John, not so much. Now, I've, I'm told from, from people who mapped this out, I haven't actually sat down and tried to map it out, but they estimate that John's ministry was about one and a half years. That's not a long time. One and a half years of ministry, and then, of course, he was cut short, hit cut off, and that was all the, all we wrote for that one. But all this preparation, he's going to have about a year and a half of ministry when he's going to, he's going to get started. Now, there's another prophecy that Angel Gabriel delivered, and this one was to Mary, verse 36. We're cutting through the rest of the stuff he said to Mary. He said a lot of things to Mary, but this is the one that uh, deals with John the Baptist. Verse 36, Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Now, Mary has no way of knowing this. But the angel tells her, he says, look, just like you are having a baby in a miraculous way, your, your relative, Elizabeth, she's having a baby also in a relative, in a miraculous way. So she's been barren, but she's already six months pregnant. Now, he does not tell her anything about it being John, about Elijah's ministry, about any of the things that he's going to do, or even that he's necessarily called in the ministry at all. All he does is, this is what's going on. And so she hears that and she acts on it. And she, uh, Mary takes off for Elizabeth's house. In verse 39, Now Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. That would apparently seem that Zacharias wasn't home. He's probably over at the temple. Maybe he's ministering, doing some stuff over there. But she's at home. She's pregnant. She's uh, staying at the house. So she's entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now notice the order. She enters the house first, then she greets. Doesn't greet him first, and then enters the house. She enters the house. Someone must have let her in. Maybe she's you know six months pregnant. Maybe she's not comfortable and she's upstairs somewhere. But it seems that somebody would have let her in the house, or she just let herself in. How many of you have relatives just kind of walk in your house? Probably had something like that going on back then. But she enters into the house. And then she comes in and she greets. That order is important because of what comes next. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. Not when she saw Mary. Not when she opened the door for Mary. But when she heard the greeting of Mary. That the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the angel never tells her to go to Elizabeth. But she goes on her own. And when she gets there, something spiritual happens. That she's filled with the Holy Spirit. So it seemed like it was a good idea for her to go. Why wouldn't the angel Gabriel tell her to go? Don't know. This is one of those things that it just it seemed good to her to do. At least it would appear that's, that's all it is. But once the greeting is done... And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in the room and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So apparently she had not been filled with the Holy Spirit then. Again, this is the Old Testament time. The Holy Spirit comes upon for a period of time and then comes off. Verse 42. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. What does that sound like? That is word for word what the angel Gabriel said to Mary. 
when he came to her, Blessed are you among women. She gets filled with the Holy Spirit. She does, as far as we can tell, she does not know that Mary is pregnant or that she had a vision of the Holy Spirit. At least the Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. But as soon as she hears the greeting of Mary, the Holy Spirit comes upon her and she speaks with a loud voice and begins to prophesy, Blessed are you among women. The exact words of Gabriel. You can see that just earlier in the, in the chapter of Luke here we're in. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now how does she know she's pregnant? Mary is not making this public. She's not going around and announcing to all her relatives, I'm pregnant in this great news. Because <laughs> this is not great news. This is not going to... Uh, we're not too thrilled about all this sort of stuff. And Joseph Joseph knows about it, but he's, he wants to put her away quietly. He doesn't want to make it a public thing. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So now not only does she know that she's pregnant, she knows, knows she is pregnant with Messiah. How does she come to know that? Spirit of God came upon her and she began to prophesy. When you prophesy, you will say some things that you don't necessarily know by your natural mind. Now, none of this is prophesying of the future. It's declaring what is already. Blessed are you among women. Well, it was already declared by the, by the angel. And the fruit of your womb. But why is it this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, that's already been prophesied by the angel that she would uh, give birth. And at this point, she's already pregnant. For indeed, as, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Now, how does the baby know that the mother of Messiah has just entered the house? It says when her ears heard it. When Elizabeth heard it. Didn't say anything about the baby. It said when Elizabeth heard it. The Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth. And what happened with the baby? Leaped in the womb. Had a reaction to what was going on. Isn't it interesting that, the, that John, before he's even born, is walking into calling? He's there to minister for the Messiah who's coming. And so he's born uh, six months before Jesus is. So before he's even born, he knows to respond to this. This is, this is Messiah. This is the one. This is the one who's coming. Now, if we already know all this amongst the family in here, then John, when he is born and comes of age, don't you think his mom is going to be telling him all this stuff? See that young man over there? When his mom came into the house, when I was six months pregnant with you, you leaped in my womb as soon as she entered in and gave the greeting. Now, you've got a lot of moms here. Would you not tell a story like that? Would you not tell the story of all those things that had happened, the things the angel had said? 
and the words that you proclaimed when Mary came into the house? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which you were which were told her from the Lord. This is a very short prophetic word, but wow, does it say a lot. So she is confirming that everything that she heard from the angel is going to happen. Just given that, that's one of the purposes of the prophecy is to confirm what you already know. And so this, this prophecy came out and just confirmed for Mary what she already knew. Now, it's, it's a, probably a whole lot better for Mary to be in an atmosphere with someone like Elizabeth who is going to confirm the words of the angel instead of the people around her telling her, yeah, you're making up a story, aren't you? And so she stayed over there until John is born. I don't blame her for staying out there. Get on out there in an atmosphere where... Because where, she, what she's going to face here is tough. Staying out there in an atmosphere of people that are going to support you. And people who know what's going on and believe what's happening. They didn't see the angel, but they're stating the words of the angel. Now, notice there was no special music that had gone on. There was no great worship service that had happened. There was no special meeting that they were in. They were just in the house. And Mary came on in. And prophecy broke out on Elizabeth. And she began to speak these things. There's a lot of times, folks, that the spirit of prophecy will come upon you outside of church. You don't need to have some special worship service going on. That spirit of prophecy will come upon you. My wife was asking me a question. I guess she saw somebody on Facebook, somebody that she knows. They're not on my Facebook page, so I don't know which one it was. But apparently they're holding a meeting, a, a prophetic meeting. And she says, is that scriptural? Is a prophetic meeting scriptural? Well, if you go through Scripture, was there ever a time when Jesus, the apostles, the disciples, is there a time that any of them said, let's have a prophetic meeting? <laughs> Never occurred. Now, we had prophets in the Old Testament. Did they ever have a time of a prophetic meeting? Let's take a look at the meetings that we did have. Did we have teaching meetings? Didn't Jesus just pull up and just, hey, we're going to teach here for a while? Didn't Paul just go out there and say, we're going to teach here for a while? Didn't Paul go about from synagogue to synagogue teaching? So we know teaching meetings are scriptural. Have had healing meetings. Did Jesus have healing meetings? Jesus had a meeting and they brought all that were sick. Well, that's a healing meeting. <laughs> Jesus was in the house and the Spirit of God was present to heal. So we have evidence of healing meetings. We have Peter who showed up in meetings and just let his shadow uh, pass over people. Well, that's a healing meeting. So apparently, in the Word of God are healing meetings, teaching meetings. Did we have meetings in the New Testament where people preached and people got saved? So we have evangelistic meetings. So in the Bible, we have evangelistic meetings, we have healing meetings, and we have teaching meetings. But no prophetic meetings. (laughs) So why is it we need them now? Why is it that we need to have these meetings where we all get together and we just prophesy? The only thing I can think about along these lines is when uh, Paul addressed the Corinthians. How is it every one of you has a prophecy? 
So we've we got to be careful in some of these things. Now, most of the stuff I've seen that come out of this type of stuff is wrong anyway. But that's probably why we start off on the wrong footprint. Be careful of meetings that advertise something that the Word of God doesn't say has happened. Got to Got to watch out for those things. If we're going to have a meeting that's purpose is not defined in the Word of God, should we be having that meeting? Brother Hagin used to talk to us about intercessory prayer meetings. He says, when you get together and have prayer meetings, have prayer meetings. Did they have prayer meetings in the, in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had small group prayer meetings, they had large group prayer meetings. So prayer meetings are in the Bible, but they had prayer meetings. They didn't have, well, we're just going to get it together and intercede. They had prayer meetings. So if you get together, have prayer meetings, sure, have prayer meetings and pray the way the Holy Spirit is showing you and, and what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Follow the example that's in the Word of God. We don't need to come up with new stuff. But they did. But here it is. Here this is. Elizabeth just going about the house or resting or doing whatever it is she's doing. And then as soon as Mary comes in, the spirit of prophecy comes upon her. And she says some powerful things in very few words. We know even more what it is because we have it written down what the angel had said to Mary. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now if you see this, I think in some of your Bibles, at least in my Bible, was titled this way. This is called the Song of Mary. There's absolutely nothing prophetic about this song. This song is just proclaiming the things that have already been stated, the things that have already been, been said, the things that... Uh, that she expects or things that have happened. And so it just puts together as a song. And she's already been called, That well, she's already been said, henceforth that all generations will call her blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of the hearts. He has put down the mighty from the thro- their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now she was six months pregnant according to the word of the angel. She stayed with her three months. What's that put it at? Nine months. Now Elizabeth full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now it would seem when you read this that maybe Mary left before the baby was born, but we really have no reason to think that Mary left before the baby was born. I would assume that Mary stayed until the baby was born. When the baby was born, she may have gone out then. But she stayed with her for three months. I don't know, would you leave a day before the baby was expected to be born? <laughs> probably not. You'd probably stay there. See if they can help out with anything. Maybe she even stayed there for uh, a week or so after. I, we don't well, know. But somewhere around the time that John was born, she heads back. She stays there for three months. But that's a song of Mary. It's not a prophecy. She's not in there prophesying or anything. It doesn't say the Spirit of God came upon her. She just set off with a song. That was okay, I 
I suppose. Now, Zacharias has a word of prophecy. And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father that he would, uh, what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came upon all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. So all around the countryside, they're talking about the things that had occurred over the birth of John. That his father became unable to speak. That an angel had visited him. And that as soon as he named the child John, which was a break of tradition, that his mouth was open and he could talk again. And these things were so marvelous to them that they said, what kind of child is this going to be? And so you would think with all that and with, you know, they don't have nearly as much going on in town as, as we'd have. We certainly have a lot more going on. We haven't been in touch with the whole world activities. They just kind of in touch with Israel, surrounding area. You would think this is big news. And they would keep thinking on this and meditating on this. And so when John is growing up, they're watching him. See what kind of a child he's going to be. But apparently that a lot of that was lost sight of. Now John, when he came out, he had some popularity in his ministry for a while. And we will look at some of those things that are involved with that. But for a while, they were, they were marveled at this. But there's enough clues right here for everyone in Israel to know that Messiah is on his way, that the one who comes before is John. And if they paid any attention to things, with Mary being there and her being pregnant and some of the things around that, they could have pieced this all together and they would have known exactly who Messiah was born to and that John was the prophet that came before. And none of this would have taken them by surprise. Can you see how God laid it all out for them? And that many of them knew about it. It was all around the countryside. They talked about all the events that had gone on with this. This was remarkable. This was something. And even with Mary, how are you going to keep that secret? Mary is is pregnant before she's officially married. Being betrothed was just about as good as married back back in those days. And this was a shameful thing for the for, for a young girl. And the events had gone on, you know, that Joseph went ahead and took her as, as his wife. Well, these, they, they talk about stuff like this. Well, what happened with that? Do you think anybody would have come out and said, well, she, uh, she's pregnant with Messiah? Do you think that word would have gone out and, oh, we don't believe that. But enough is going on right now in the nation of Israel that they should know that something is about to happen. It's going to take about 30 years for anything to really start. Three decades, they would have had to remember all these things. And apparently, they didn't. Now, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people 
and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give us light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now his prophecy is a lot longer than that of his, his wife's. The first two verses here is talking about what God is doing. What God is doing right now. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. If you are in Israel right now, what does that word speak to you? Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. You use words like that. What do you think about as a... As in, you think of Messiah. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. All right, now we're talking about the house of David. <laughs> now, this is by the Spirit of God. If it's by the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God is wanting this to get out. So, we, the, the Spirit of God is giving prophecy about Messiah being born now. Which means it's okay for people to know it. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. And this, in these ones, 70 to 75, we see what God has done. He's going over backwards what we have done. That we should be saved from our enemies and for, from the hand of all who hate us. Well, who's supposed to do that? Messiah. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to re. Remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Well, we're talking about the ministry of Messiah. Still, I mean, they're going back in the old, what God has done, bringing all that in. And you, child, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to John. He is speaking to John as a prophecy and all those who hear it can hear, can remember, can tell it to other people. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. Well, what's he saying? You're prophet of the Messiah. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. See, now we're using terminology from the Old Testament. To prepare the way of the Lord. He, he is using that terminology. And they know that terminology well because they say it over and over because they are looking for Messiah to come. Remember, they had Daniel's prophecy. 490 years, or 70, 70 weeks, 490 years as we 
map it out, are determined for your people. They've counted that up. They know we're getting to the end of this. Messiah is due to come. So we're, they're specially listening for this. Here is Zacharias, a, the, a priest, just had a miraculous birth, and he's prophesying this over the child. A new child will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness. Is that not a ministry of the Messiah? And the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So he makes this prophecy over John. And all those who hear it can have all the things that are going on before and then this prophecy which would set this child apart. So you would think you'd be watching. You'd be watching this, especially as much as they were anxious about Messiah coming. All these things have occurred. Why are they not watching? I'd just be watching this one guy. Let me see. When he grows up, I don't need to be mindful of anything else. I just need to watch John. Who does John say is the Messiah? Who is John preparing the way for? And then when John prepares the way for that, I just look on, that's Messiah. There we go. It was all laid out so clear for them. How did it get to be so confusing? No matter how clear God makes some things, folks, we can, clear, we can cloud it up. We can mess it up. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So the child grew and became strong in, in spirit. He grew spiritually. He became stronger and stronger. But he stayed in the deserts. Now he uses a plural there, deserts. So I guess he went from one desert to another. And so he heads on out and goes into the deserts until the time that is time for him to manifest in the ministry. So that he can come out and prepare the way for the Lord. So he goes out in the deserts. This guy who was so special had all these prophecies, all this stuff going on. People's expectations are high. And then they see this guy. He just wanders off into the deserts. Hangs out by himself. Eating locusts. and Dressing funny. Not wearing normal clothes like everybody else does. And they might be thinking, wow, we had such high hopes for this guy. He's just hanging out in the, in the deserts. Anybody seen John? He's out in the deserts again. Doesn't come out much. Doesn't shave much. Doesn't uh, shower a whole lot. Just out there in the deserts. Not really doing a whole lot. Hmm. Well, that's kind of interesting. So he grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So he didn't just go out there on occasion. He stayed out there in the deserts. Now, how many of you would like that kind of a ministry? Once you're uh, done being at home with mom and dad, you head out, stay in the deserts. What do you do for a living? We're never told that he does anything for a living. We know Jesus was a carpenter. We're not told what he did for a living. How does he get money? Do you live off the deserts? How do you live off of a desert? Not a whole lot there to do. But this is what he does. So God has called him. And again, his ministry is not all that dynamic. What's he called to do? Lead people back to God. Make the 
path clear from Messiah? No fantastic teaching ministry? No uh, healing ministry? No uh, prophetic ministry? Prophesying about things that are to come? He's just coming on out there and when the time is right, he's waiting, 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 waiting till the time is right. When time is right, what's he do? Comes on out. So, imagine you're John. All this stuff is going on around you about your birth. Your parents probably told you some of these stories. Then the Spirit of God comes on you and says, go out in the desert. I remember the Spirit of God is with him from the day he was born. Go out in the desert. All right. Well, I've been out here for a week. Yeah, stay. Been out here for a year now. Yep, stay right here. Been out here for two years. I mean, how many years was he out there in the deserts? If you're considered an adult in the Jewish age at 13, 14, I don't know, let's just, let's just say that he stayed at home until he was 20. I don't think he did, but let's just say he stayed at home until he was 20. And he doesn't start until you know, about a half year or so before Jesus' ministry starts. That means he's going to be out there in the deserts somewhere around 10 years. At that point, I think most people have probably written him off. Well, we had high hopes for this guy. He just hangs out in the desert. He doesn't work. doesn't have a job. eats insects. Other things that are floating around in the desert. I mean, this just isn't normal. We thought we'd get some good things for, for him. So when he finally comes out of the wilderness, what kind of a greeting do you think he's going to get? Oh, the man in the deserts has come out of hiding. And I'm sure that their expectation may have gone up high, but over the time it's probably waned down to a low point. Don't know that for sure. But if we were all there, I think our expectation would have certainly gone down a lot more. And we're going to be looking at the ministry of John. The ministry of John was prepare the way for Messiah, lead people back to God, nothing else dynamic. Now, how many of us, that would be enough? Put that in your outline. Is is what God called us to enough? Jesus calls John the greatest prophet. But look at what he does. Now, what was God's name for him? John. God's name for him was John. What was the people's name for him? John the Baptist. They called him John the Baptist. The Lord called him John. What's he known as to us? John the Baptist. All they did was tack on what he did. What did he do? He baptized people. He didn't heal people. He baptized people. John, what's, what do you do? I baptize people. Put them under the water, bring them back up. Go to another one, put them under the water, bring them back up. Boy, what a ministry. He's known as John the Baptist. 
Now, for some of us, we might be thinking, this is not all that exciting of a ministry. This is a lot of preparation for something that's not really a whole lot. We don't really get a whole lot of scriptures on what John does, getting things ready for, for the Lord. We get some, and we can piece some things together. But how many of us, that ministry would be enough? God says, this is what I need you to do, John. John says, okay. Okay. I mean, some of us would be out there, no, I'm fine to do this, but I want a prophetic ministry too. I want to be prophesying. I want some, I, I want some healing aspects to the ministry here. Uh, how about some teaching? How about if I can be a teacher and teach people on, on those things? Mm-mm. Now, I'll put these things in your outline for you. There are things we do to grow. That's what John did. It says that he grew. There are things we do, and that just grows us up, makes us stronger. Stronger believers, stronger physically, stronger people. There are things we just do to grow. Those things are good. There are things, there are the things we do to prepare us. God wants to prepare us and there are things that we do to prepare us for ministry. It's not the ministry that God has for us. It's not the calling that God has for us. It's the preparation that God has for us to get ready for what we're going to do. For John, it was hanging out in the wilderness. For Jesus, it was being a carpenter. In preparation for ministry. It's not what he's called to do. It's the preparation for what he's called to do. Most people, not all, but most people in the Bible spent more time preparing for ministry than actually in ministry. Now, there were some that that wasn't the case for. They spent more time in the actual ministry than they did in the preparation of it. Most of the disciples spent more time in the actual ministry than they did in the preparation for the ministry. Paul, I'm not sure. I think he might have been pretty even on all that because he was out there being prepared in a lot of different ways. So there's no rhyme or reason that you're going to prepare longer or prepare shorter. But there's things you're going to do to prepare for ministry. Now, if you're John and you've been out in the wilderness for five years preparing for ministry, how many of you are saying, Lord, I'm ready? I mean, how much more ready can I be? Five years I've been here in the wilderness getting ready for for five years, hanging out here in the wilderness. How much more can I do here in the wilderness to get myself ready? But the the call doesn't come yet. It doesn't come to go out there and to to start. You know, if I'm going to prepare the way for the Lord, why not start now? But that didn't come. So there are things we do to grow. There are the things we do to prepare us for the ministry that we're going to do. There are the things we are called to once prepared. And we begin to do those things that we're called to. God called us to do these particular things and we set out and we begin to do those. Then there's another one. There are the things some enter into beyond their calling. God didn't call them to it. God didn't say go out into this thing, do this, this part of it over here. But they've gotten bored with their calling. Or they feel, I've done this calling long enough. Sometimes we get bored with the preparation. Sometimes we get bored with the calling itself. But 
if God has says, this is what I need you to do, I'm getting you ready for it, should we get bored with the preparation? Well, we shouldn't. We all know that. But how many of y'all know we can? We can get bored with the actual preparation of the ministry itself. And it's not the case with everybody. You know, with Paul, he dies doing the ministry. With John, his ministry is finished before his life is. And we're going to get a chance to examine some of that that goes on. Because what do you do when your ministry is done, but you're still here? So we're going to see what happens with with John with with some of those things. But can you see those, those areas? There's those things that you're going to do to grow. There are those things that we do to prepare us for what's ahead. They may last a year. They may last 10 years. They may last 30 years. Whatever it is, there are things you're doing to prepare for the ministry that's ahead. Then, there are the things you do in the ministry and the calling that God has for you. But be careful because there are some distractions out there and at the end, some people may try and go off into something that's not what they were called to do, not what they were supposed to do. They've fallen, fallen into something else. So we have to be watchful of those, of those things. Well, Father, we thank you that we can learn from John. We can learn from his life and his ministry. There are things that you have us involved with. Some of them might be preparing us for what calling is still ahead. Some of them might just be to grow us so that we are rooted and grounded, not going anywhere. And some of them are those things that we're doing are in the actual calling. Help us, Father, to not go beyond that calling and find some things that tickle our ears or we think, oh, that sounds fun. We need to stay in the calling that you've called us to because you are the head of the church. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a story Brother Hagen had told us. I'm sure many of you remember this one. That the Lord came to him after he had been pastor for a number of years, I think about 12 years or so, and said to him, he says, you are now ready to enter the first phase of your ministry. <laughs> His idea was the first phase. I've been pastoring all this time and doing these things. He said, many ministers live and die and never enter the first phase of their ministry. But that was just the first phase. I think he had a second and a third phase. I'm not sure how many phases he had altogether. But the Lord time, that time the Lord spoke to him there, that was the first phase. I know of at least a second and third. I'm not sure how many more there were beyond that. That he... Uh, that he had moved into. We've got to be ready to, to do what God says to do and not what seems good to us or tickles our fancy.